0: You are listening to Radio Maria, Christian voice in your home. We're not present of the show, Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Showman. Hi, this is Roy Showman, and welcome again to Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church. or seen the other way around, that celebrates the full realization, the fulfillment of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Now, um, I just got back from leading a pilgrimage to the Holy Land uh, two days ago, and um, I, today's show is going to flow a little bit out of that pilgrimage, as well as some, some things that have uh, gotten a, a higher profile in, in recent weeks. Um, but before I get into that, and I'll, I'll get into the, today's show in a moment, I just want to say, having just come back from Israel, I just want to invite prayers for Israel of course, prayers for um, peace—the peace of Jerusalem—a great blessing associated with praying for the peace of Jerusalem. But also, there is a very, very delicate and difficult political situation going on within Israel now, which, uh, frankly, poses a perhaps an existential risk to the state of Israel—the um, ability of Israel to to maintain its. Um, uh, Basically, maintain itself in the face of the uh, pressures around it. It's a it's a complicated political situation. But basically, if uh, if the wrong side gets the upper hand, it could be the end of um, Israel totally, and certainly the end of Israel as we know it. So, anyway, however one wants to interpret praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, praying for the welfare of all of the people involved in that part of the world uh, is always a good idea, and right now it seems particularly acute, the need for it. Now, one of the things that I like to do when I lead a group to Israel is start with the Old Testament um, and sites associated with the Old Testament. And one of the sites we usually go to at the very beginning of the trip is called Muhraqa which is the spot where Elijah cut off the heads of the 450 prophets of Baal, uh, the uh, the leaders of the pagan cult religion in Israel at the time. And, in fact, the story of the Old Testament, much of the story of the Old Testament, revolves around the spiritual threat posed by paganism and the pagan gods against uh, the Jews and the one true religion, which at the time was Judaism, which of course flowered into Christianity in the Catholic Church, so in that light, I wanted to uh spend the show today talking about paganism and the seriousness of paganism, the reality of the gods of the pagans, so to speak, and the demonic nature of the dogs of the uh, excuse me gods of the pagans now um there is a verse in the Old Testament, Psalm ninety-six in the uh, in the Vulgate, in the translation done by Saint Jerome and and considered the canonically authoritative translation of the Old Testament, has a verse: "The gods of the pagans are demons." So that's the the theme of today's show, and let me give a little warning. Um, usually, my shows are you know rated Gp uh, general audience, but since today's show will be going into again some aspects of the demonic and also some aspects of the practice of paganism it is probably not an appropriate show for um for uh, children whose innocence should definitely be protected so I would say this is probably more like a if not an R-rated show, at least a PG-rated show because uh, there is a reason to protect young ears from certain kinds of realities which, um, you know, would, would be difficult to to absorb and not get upset by or even, in some sense, corrupted by. So that's a little warning that if any people are out there listening with, with uh, young children listening, it may not be the right show for them to listen to. Uh, and I'll just launch into one of the aspects of that, which um, for my adult listeners will make it clear why I'm giving this, that little, that little uh, R rating uh, warning, which is that it is uh, certainly, in the case of the Old Testament, the pagan religions, the pagan worship, is always associated with uh, human sacrifice, child sacrifice, and almost always associated with uh, what's essentially called prostitution, which is, of course, a form of, um, of uh, violation against the Sixth Commandment, let's say violation against the commandment against uh, fornication, and also against the commandment, the very severe commandment, against sexual depravity. I won't go into detail about that obviously, about the meaning of that, but um, let me just read some passages from the Old Testament um, which are very, very telling. There are at least four times in the Old Testament where it becomes clear, five times that is, that there is a practice of what one can call cult prostitution in the uh, local pagan religions. The idea being that there would be men and women who would be available at the shrines to engage in sexual activity with worshippers, not in return for money, not as actual prostitution as we know it now, but as a form of service to the pagan gods, because, of course, the pagan gods being demons very much want to cast people into moral depravity and mortal sin. And what better way than through these cult prostitutes which would uh, wh- who were both male and female, although their clients, let's say, um, the worshippers who made use of them would be only male. And that's as far as I'll go there. So um, I'll just uh, just so that you know the listeners kind of believe me, I'll just uh, cite cite those verses. First of all, in Second Kings chapter twenty three, Hilkiah the high priest, a good guy, um, tried to purify the religion of Israel. Let's say, and he took out of the temple of the Lord, all of the vessels that were made for Baal and for Asherah, that is the pagan gods who were worshipped, and for all the host of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron. And he deposed the idolatrous, pri- uh, idolatrous priests um, who were uh, burning incense to these pagan gods. And he brought out the Asherah, that's the statues of the female goddess from the house of the Lord, and burned it at the brook Kidron, and, here in verse 7, quote, and he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes which were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the Asherah, again the the, um, female, uh, primary female goddess of fertility. So note that the female goddess of fertility had male cult prostitutes who would, of course, be at the shrine and would be used to um, generate mortal sin. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And then in Deuteronomy, God commands the Israelites that there shall be no... This is a quote, Deuteronomy 23, verse 17, quote, There shall be no cult prostitute of the daughters of Israel, neither neither shall there be a cult prostitute of the sons of Israel. In other words, a prohibition against either male or female cult prostitutes in Israel. And um, again, of course, the purpose of these cult prostitutes would be to lead people into mortal sin, um, either through fornication or through some specific sexual deviancy. I won't read the other um verses. Uh I think this is enough of this distasteful material, but I will give the citations for uh people who wish to follow them up on their own. 1 Kings chapter 14 verse 22 to 26. 1 Kings chapter 15 verses 9 to 13. 1 Kings 22 verses 42 246. And again, the, the theme is generally that the pre, the king who, who tried to restore proper worship to Israel and purify the land of the demonic pagan worship would destroy the um, idols, would get rid of the pagan priests, and would uh, drive out the cult prostitutes, whether male or female, and that's what's referred to in all of those three verses. Now, leaving that aside for the moment, um, I will make a couple of more general points. One is, of course, that we do not wish to be judgmental in our culture, and certainly we don't want to condemn or be severe against anybody. Um, However, that does not change the fact that the church militants, so to speak, in other words, us in this period between birth and death, are engaged in a spiritual struggle in which there are two armies, the um, army of Christ, the army of the true God, and the fallen spiritual powers. As St. Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of the darkness. And as much as we would like to wish them away, They do exist, and they are the source of the opposition against holiness, against people getting to heaven, against the kingdom of heaven being instituted on earth, against the flourishing of the church, and so forth. And as much as we would like to perhaps bury our heads in the sand and wish that this spiritual battle didn't exist, it does exist. And the um, source of the en- or I shouldn't say the source of the in- enemy, the enemy in that battle is Satan and his minions, Satan and the demons, and they gain their power through human service and human worship. So, it is not um, judgmental in a sense against individuals, however, it is true that, they would not have the power that they have if they were not served in the way they wish to be served by human beings. We are the ones through who, through our activity, give Satan and his minions the power that they have over humanity. And what is the source of that power that they have? It's largely our sin. And there are two sins which are of particular unique value to the demonic powers, and those two sins are a misuse of the sexual faculty, sins against the Sixth Commandment, and also, in particular, sexual deviancy, a a misuse of the human faculty, excuse me, the human sexual faculty, and the other sin, which is of unique value to them, uh, that is to the powers of darkness, is sexual depravity, excuse me, I, I said that, forgive me is um human is sac- human sacrifice particularly child sacrifice and particularly a parent sacrifice of their own child i will briefly mention why those two sins are of particular value to the forces of darkness the sins against the sixth commandment are of particular value because it is precisely in the Ability of mankind to produce immortal human souls that man cooperates most directly with God himself. The purpose of all creation is the creation of immortal human souls for heaven to live with God in a mutual relationship of love with God in heaven and in a state of eternal bliss. That is the reason for which God created everything that exists. Now, God cannot create immortal human souls without man's cooperation. So think about that for a moment. The one thing that God wants more than anything else in everything he's done is the creation of immortal human souls to be with him for all eternity in heaven. But, he, but he's made himself helpless in doing that. The only immortal human soul that he ever directly created was Adam. Adam one could say perhaps also Eve, but certainly since then the creation of any additional souls are dependent on the cooperation of men and women and in particular in their use of the sexual faculty in order to create immortal human souls for God. So it's in fact in that dimension of man's faculties that man cooperates most directly and most intimately with god in in fulfilling his purpose for all creation so of course the perversion or misuse of that faculty is a is an absolute frontal attack against the reason for which god created mankind and the reason for which god created the world which is to create more and more human souls for heaven um uh, now, what about a human sacrifice? Well, obviously, if all of creation is created for the creation of human beings, the uh, sacrifice of a human life for the honor and glory of Satan, so to speak, is about the worst thing one can do um, to uh, insult God and glorify God because you're taking his purpose for creation and instead of offering you know the the creation of a human life to god you're offering the destruction of a human life to satan now that is of of a a higher level of value if that human life is entirely innocent which children before the age of reason don't have the ability to actually uh, enter, uh, how can I put it, uh, for their souls to enter into a state of mortal sin, they are in a sense innocent until they're able to knowingly sin, so an innocent human soul is of more value, but in fact, a parent's sacrifice of a child is of the ultimate value, because um, all, I mean, God, God is called God the Father, all human fatherhood is an image of God's relationship with man the the human parents take the in a sense the role of uh, let me start that sentence over again the relationship between human parents and their own child is a picture is a model of the relationship between God and man God and the human being as God brings the human being into existence and nurtures him, and him or her, and attempts to bring him or her to heaven. So the human parents bring the child into existence, nurture the child, and have the duty to help bring them to heaven. For a human parent to turn against his or her own child and uh, and kill him. And or her, and in particular offer him or her in a sense as a sacrifice to the powers of darkness, is about as great a sacrifice as can be offered to Satan. Now we see both of those services to the demonic reflected in the Old Testament. Um, I mentioned the service to the demonic that comes from violations of the Sixth Commandment, essentially fornication and, and sexual misbehavior. We also see the unique value of a parent offering his or her own child to um, the demonic in the Old Testament. And I will simply uh, cite a single uh, passage in the Old Testament, although there are more than there are more. And this is in Second Kings, chapter 3. I will, uh, I will just read a few verses from it. When Ahab died, the king of Moab Rebelled against the king of Israel. All the Moabites who were able to put on armor from the youngest to the oldest, were called out, and were drawn up at the frontier. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose and attacked the Moabites till they fled before them, and they went forward, slaughtering the Moabites as they went. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was going against him, he took his eldest son, who was to reign in his stead and offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall. And there came great wrath upon Israel, and Israel withdrew from him and returned to their own land. So here we have an instance in the Old Testament when um, a pagan king was rebelling against the king of Israel, and he was losing the battle against the Israelite forces. So the pagan king, the king of Moab, excuse me, uh, took his own son and offered him as a sacrifice, a burnt offering. And at that point, um, the powers of his army, well, I'll just go back to the verse from the scriptures, "There there came great wrath upon Israel and Israel withdrew from him and returned to their own land. In other words, The worshippers' service to Satan and to the powers of darkness is reciprocated by powers given to, in this case, the pagan king. Usually it is the pagan priest or in the primitive religions that are still around today, the pagan religions that are still around today, it's usually referred to as a shaman or witch doctor or... New Age practitioner or whatever. I'll use the word shaman because that's the most, most uh, common kind of generally used name for these um, uh, ritual leaders of pagan worship, let's say, of demonic worship. So when the shaman, or in this case the, the pagan king, Offer sacrifice to his pagan deities who are demons. Those demons do reciprocate with favors and powers. Um, I don't know how many witness testimonies I'll have time to read today. Uh, One one of the witness testimonies I have in front of me, which I may or may not read, is of a Hindu guru who talks about a Hindu guru who has uh, consecrated himself to a... Uh, a god associated with riches and apparently, magically, becomes very, very wealthy, although, uh, I shouldn't say although, because he sacrificed his own child to this Hindu god of wealth. He instantly became very, very wealthy and had all of this gold that nobody knew where it came from. Um, In this case that I read from the Old Testament, the pagan king offered his son to his pagan deity demon and in return his army got the power to defeat the israelites um, so it, it is um uh, let me recap a little bit it's nonsense to think that pagan religions and the worship of pagan gods or idols is harmless it's anything but harmless It. Um, is the It is a source of power to the principalities and powers of darkness who are the other side in the entire story of the church militant, the entire story of life on earth, which is the battle between the forces of Christ and the forces of darkness. And any of these uh, pagan ceremonies, pagan worship, pagan sacrifices are what is giving the power to the powers of darkness, the gasoline for their engines, so to speak, the fuel for their fire, so to speak, whatever. And key elements of this um, service to those powers of darkness are, are human sacrifice and sins against the Sixth Commandment. Now, um, I, this is not a political show. <laughs> I'm not going to get overtly political. But we can see what's happening in our society. We can see the forces, the parties, so to speak, in our society, who are actually promoting human sacrifice. Of course, the most common form of human sacrifice that we see today is, um, is abortion, which, if not overtly, explicitly human sacrifice, it's certainly... Child killing—it's all it's certainly the killing of innocent children, and even worse, in a sense, the killing of innocent children by their own parents, who God has given the task and the duty to bring that child to life, to nurture them, to protect them, and instead those parents are doing a one hundred and eighty-degree turn, and instead excuse the, exp- the, the term, but slaughtering their own child. That clearly is feeding the powers of darkness. And then you have the embrace of our society of um, fornication, first of all. I mean, there are, there are once Christian countries in which marriage is all, almost obsolete. In France, one doesn't talk about people being married. One talks about people being en couple, in a couple. There, I mean, the, the terminology has changed so that, you know, somebody meets somebody. They don't ask, "Are you married?" They ask, "Are you in a couple?" Because there's no distinction made between being married and being in, um, in a I don't know what to say, in a in a fornicating relationship. And we also have our culture having embraced uh, forms of sexual expression, which until. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, were considered by almost all of society to be um, intrinsically sinful and also, by the way, illegal in, in, um, in the United States, actually throughout the Western world. So anyway, you can see the picture I'm trying to paint of what's going on. Now, um, uh, lest I run out of time before the end of the show... I wish to simply jump to a very, very beautiful witness testimony. It may or may not be the only one I have time for today, but it's uh, particularly relevant f- right now because it is the witness testimony of an Amazonian um, shaman who came to Christianity and has, uh, and after coming to Christianity, told the story of what his um relationship to his pagan de- deities actually was and the nature of his pagan deities and he is from a uh, amazonian tribe called the yanomamo who were um totally unexposed to the white man as they say to to civilization, until probably it was the 1950s, they were literally a stone-age tribe. That means that the the height of their technology was using stones. They had not yet discovered metal, or you know, to make uh, you know bronze or iron axes and so forth. All they could do was chip stones uh, to get a sharp edge on them and use them for knives or axes or whatever. That was the height of their um, uh, cultural, technological, whatever, uh, progress until they came across uh, Western man. I I don't know a nice, politically correct way to say that, but civilized man in the middle of the 20th century. So uh, I will now read a little introduction that I wrote, and then I will read the testimony of uh, Chief Shoefoot is what he's called in the West. As um, he was a Yanomamo shaman, as I said, of a indigenous Amazonian tribe, and I think his account is rather authoritative to illustrate just what's going on and just how demonic this um, these pagan Indian practices were, and are. Now, I I will back up. I keep going forwards and backwards in the show today. I hope you'll forgive me. When primitive man was rediscovered by Europeans, uh, primarily Europeans, in I think it was probably about the 17th century, maybe the beginning of the 18th century, there was a stream in the culture which saw them as Restoring a lost innocence, like refinding the Garden of Eden. Uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, in particular, in France, I think he was a uh, middle um, or perhaps late 18th century, would write about this. the The American Indian savages—I shouldn't use that word—but the American Indians when they were discovered, and then discovered uh, uh, that the discovery of the American Indians had been. Transferred to France, and in fact, some um, American Native Indians were brought over to France. They were seen as as uh, um, quote noble savages, as though uh, Western man had rediscovered the Garden of Eden, and these uh, Native Indians were pre fallen human nature. Let's say were in a state of 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 uh, purity and innocence, like. Adam had been in the Garden of Eden before the fall. Um, that that kind of um, s- spin on things, that view of things, there's still some of that around today, and it's extremely pernicious because the, uh, the moral, spiritual state of the American Indians was very heavily embedded with, in fact, uh, paganism, pagan worship, demonic practices and so forth Um, it was not a state of innocence it was a it was a state of um, corruption actually they were very grateful when they entered christianity of course the the um, indian shamans were very hostile to christianity but all one has to do is read the accounts for instance of the north american jesuit martyrs like uh, saint isaac jogues and one sees the the uh, demonic hatred of Christianity which came from the spiritual leaders of the Indians and their incredible brutality and savagery, not only against the missionaries who were um, giving their lives to bring them to Christ and to God, but also between tribes, um, you know, the, the savagery in their war in, in their warfare and so forth. And the same is true among the Yanomamo Uh, And it was true among the Yanomamo, I don't know if it is still now, probably not, probably most of them have been, you know, quote, corrupted, close quote, in other words, brought into modern times and familiarity with with civilization, but it certainly was true at the time that the um, anthropologists... Uh, you know, started studying them and writing about them in the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties. Now, if you want to, you know, after this show, if you're if if you're interested enough to look into this the material that I'm discussing, Yano Mamo is spelled Y A N O M A M O, and if you simply Google that uh, in Google or put it in YouTube you'll find a lot of material from anthropologists and and witness testimonies and accounts, uh, especially books of uh, accounts of their mode of life, which was extremely violent and was permeated with blood feuds between villages, between tribes, um, and uh, terrible degradation of women, uh, where women were uh, possessions and... um, where rape was uh, a kind of socially accepted construct and so forth. So anyway, back to my um, witness testimony from this Yanomamo shaman named Chief Shufut. Uh, First of all, the introduction. The Yanomamo are primitive Stone Age people living in the Amazon rainforest. They had almost no contact with outsiders until well into the middle of the 20th century. They are an extremely fierce and hostile people living in small, widely separated villages of 50 to 250 inhabitants which frequently make war on each other. More than one-third of Yanomamo males die in such inter-village warfare. Their religion and their lives is dominated by shamanistic practice. They rely on their shamans for medical care as well as for all of the major decisions for the village, one of their more powerful and successful shamans, known as Chief Shoefoot, ended up converting to Christianity and traveled throughout the U.S. giving his witness testimony. That witness testimony follows. Now I will read his own words. This is Chief Shoefoot of the Yanomamo, speaking in, I would guess, the 1980s. I was a person who was bound in terrible bondage. Everything I did had me in terrible bondage to the spirit of evil. I was trained by my people to be a shaman, and the things that we did was to destroy our own people. My fathers decided that I would be a shaman because the spirit world was talking to me. The spirit world was talking to me through animals, and the elders of my tribe decided when I was a small child that I would be a shaman. They wanted me to be a shaman so that I could defend the people of my village. They told me that I would be the healer, I would be the protector. But I found out that my life turned out to be a life of bondage. And they began to teach me the chants and the ways of the other world. And at the end of that time they told me that I had made it. They told me they have no more to train me. They said you have to chant to the spirit world by yourself so that they will come to you. Never be silent at night, chant all night long to the spirits so that they will come. After many, many days the spirits came to me in many different forms. They came and they began to live in the palace of my heart. They were beautiful creatures. They promised me everything as they would come and live within me, what they would do how they would help me, and I thought that this is the happiness I had been searching for, and I thought there are so many of them now, I will be the most powerful shaman of all. And they began to live within me. And so many of them lived within me, that the light no longer existed within me, I was completely dark. But I began to hate my people, and I began to hate the ones that I was supposed to heal. And one time my uncle, my uncle who was very dear to me, got sick. And I chanted for him, but I realized that my spirits were killing him instead of healing him. And he finally said to me, don't chant for me anymore. I'm dying, and it's your spirits that are destroying me. And I became very sad and realized that I had been lied to, and my uncle died. And I wanted to get rid of these spirits, but I was unable to. And I wanted to give up. I just wanted to throw away the spirits and quit being a shaman because the spirits were destructive. And I wondered, how? How can I be set free from this? What am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? And I realized they were destroying me and also destroying my people. And they had seemed so wise and so helpful and so loving at first, until I realized that they filled me with hate for everyone, and I became more and more messed up in my mind, and I began to hate even my own family. But I was still considered a very powerful person, and I would roam the jungle searching for more spirits to help me control the spirits that I had. I even called other shamans to come and chant for me, to help me to teach me how to strain out my life, how to control the spirits I had, and then I began to realize they were in the same bondage that I was in, and the hate within me began to grow more and more, and I decided it was best for me just to die. But when I realized they were out to destroy even me, when I was in complete and utter despair, when I finally had come to realize I would never find anything to set me free, everywhere I searched there was nothing to bring me happiness and peace, I roamed the jungle looking for things that would set me free, but I was just in despair. And I thought, well, I'll just roam out into the jungle and get lost out there and just die out there. Now I will tell you how I was set free. Then, uh, this is Roy interrupting, uh, then Chief Shoefoot goes out into the jungle and he describes how when he was out there, he came across a missionary who knew the Yanomamo language, and began to speak to him. The missionary sat down with me and said, My friend, I see the suffering and misery you are living in, and at one time I lived that way also. I too was in bondage, the same way you are. But I have been set free by a great spirit. The greatest of all spirits has set me free. And I began, and I became very excited in my heart, because I knew of whom he was speaking. My heart began to pound, my chest got excited, and the spirits within me clamored for me to leave, that this man was our enemy, that this man was going to destroy us. But when I looked into his face I saw something that I really desired, and he told me about the Great Spirit. In my language, we call the spirit that you call God, we call Yaipara. And he told me about Jesus. And he told me that God had sent his son to this earth to chop a trail for us to heaven. And I asked him, well, where does this being live? And he told me he lives in heaven. And I knew him. All of us shamans know him. We know the enemy. We know the enemy spirit that lives up there, where it is beautiful, where there are beings praising him all the time. And I said, yes, I know him. I know who you are talking about. But isn't he an enemy? My spirits have told me that he is an enemy. But I realize now that he never was an enemy. He told me to cry out to the spirit, that I had been crying out to spirits all my life, now to cry out to this spirit so I went off into the jungle by myself. There was a great big tree blown over by the wind, and I sat down on top of this tree. All by myself, out in the jungle, I began to talk to the spirit that I had so feared all my life. I was in a battle with the spirits that were within me, and the spirit that I was crying out to. I had tried by myself to make the spirits leave me, but they wouldn't. So I began to cry out to the Spirit to set me free, and I said, If you are really there, I hear that you can set people free. You see the bondage that I am in. If you can set me free, set me free. You see the spirits that have me in bondage. And I cried out to this Spirit, and I have been set free. I am a person that has now been made alive. I was dead. I have been set free. As I was praying this prayer to the Great Spirit, I saw the chief of all of our evil spirits. He came running up to me, and he began to bind me in this cage, and he built a cage around me. He grabbed me by both arms and began to dance with me, and he began to tell me, You are mine, I will never let you go. I began to give in to his power, but I cried out to God anyway, I cried out to the Spirit, to the spirit, and I saw a blinding bright light, and I felt someone grab me away, and said, Get away from here, leave him alone, he is mine. And Satan and the spirits within me fled, and they've never been back, and I will never return to the bondage I was in, never. So ends the witness testimony of Chief Shuford, a shaman of the Yanomamo tribe <clears throat> a native tribe in the Amazon and here we have a first person testimony that shows that shows this this the spiritual warfare that is the nature of the church militant that shows the reason for evangelization that shows Frankly, that shows the purpose of the Church and the purpose of the Catholic Church, which is to free mankind from the demonic spirits that otherwise take possession of the human soul. Note, there's so many beautiful, beautiful things in this witness testimony. By the way, if anybody um, wants to find the witness testimony of Chief Shoefoot, it's easily found on YouTube. If you simply search on YouTube for, quote, Chief Shoefoot, Shoefoot spelled like a shoe on a foot, S H O E, F O O T, or Yanomamo shaman chief Shoefoot or Chief Shoefoot witness testimony. You'll find there, there are videos of him uh, giving his witness testimony. Of course, he's giving it in his native Yanomamo language, but there is, you know, there there are subtitles and so forth, and there's also. Uh, some of the uh, witness testimonies of his on YouTube um, also have discussion by the missionary uh, that came across him in the jungle and that introduced him to Christ but there's so much that can be learned from this witness testimony we certainly see the the evil of paganism the evil of this this uh primitive native Spirituality reflected in in pagan religions, which far too many people today think of as innocent, think of a kind of a a pure state, and think that it can somehow be reconciled with Christianity or brought into Christianity. It can't. It's the enemy of Christiani- Christianity. Look at what happened to Chief Shoefoot. One of the most beautiful things in his witness testimony is that when he is told about Christ, he says, "Oh yes, of course." I know the spirit you're talking about, all of us shamans know the spirit you're talking about, but he's the enemy, isn't he? Our spirits tell me that he is the enemy, that he is out to destroy us. Well, his spirits were not lying to him. They were lying to him in a way, but they weren't lying to him in a way. Christ is the enemy of those pagan spirits. Christ is the one who is out to destroy those pagan spirits. The only point in which those pagan spirits were lying to him was in telling him that Christ was also out to destroy the members of his tribe and him. Christ wasn't. Christ was out to liberate him and the the uh, members of his tribe. Christ was the enemy of the pagan spirits, not of the primitive people. Christianity's task is precisely to free the human soul from these fallen spirits who would like to inhabit the human soul. Which brings me to two other incredibly beautiful illustrations in his witness testimony. Look, he says, he says first of all, he says, That when these spirits first appeared to him, the pagan spirits, they were beautiful creatures. They promised me everything as they would come and live within me, what they would do, how they would help me. And I thought this is the happiness that I was searching for. This is exactly true. This is what the fallen spirits do. This is what the demons do. When they first appear, they appear as benevolent and the bringer of great gifts. And what do they do? As he said, this is an incredibly beautiful um, phrase, Um, let me, uh, mm, here it is. They came and they began to live in the palace of my heart. They began to live within me. They began to live in the palace of my heart. This is what it's all about, I'm tempted to say brothers and sisters, like I was a, a good Protestant preacher. It's about who lives in the palace of our heart. We know that we were made to have the most holy Trinity live in the palace of our heart. That is what man that's what we were made for, to have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live within us. We are the new we are the new temple of God. God wants to inhabit the palace of our heart these fallen pagan gods want to inhabit the palace of our heart we are the battleground between god and the fallen spirits and the battleground is our hearts who do we invite to live in the palace of our hearts the the purpose of baptism is to is to um free the palace of our hearts from the um uh, essentially, from the power of Satan that Satan has over us through original sin and actual sin, if we get baptized at an age old enough for us to have ap- uh, uh, actual sin. You know, what is confirmation for? It's to invite the Holy Spirit to live within us. What is the purpose of being in a state of grace? It is to have the Most Holy Trinity live within the palace of our hearts. What is the purpose of confession, the sacrament of confession? Why should we regularly be making use of the sacrament of confession? It is to keep, to keep our hearts pure enough for God to live in the palace of our hearts and to keep our hearts free from these fallen spirits who wish to take up residence in the palace of our hearts. What is pagan religion? It is inviting fallen spirits, demons to live in the palace of our hearts. I can't do better than simply point people to this witness testimony of Chief Shoefoot. It's what this is all about. This is why it is, it is so horrible when when Christians turn their back on the responsibility they have to fight these gods of paganism, to fight these demonic powers that are in this life and death battle against Christ, for the possession of immortal human souls which is the purpose for which god created the entire universe is to be is to create immortal human souls to live with him in a state of perfect bliss in a mutual love relationship with him in heaven for all eternity and that, that battleground is the human heart which wishes to be possessed by pagan spirits which are demons or wishes to be possessed in a benevolent way or inhabited by the most holy trinity as uh, saint athanasius said and i was recently told also saint augustine god god created man so that man could become god and instead we are turning ourselves over to the most base fallen spirits when we go after instead pagan gods or demons, and we're allowing other human souls to be lost and to be uh, taken over and inhabited by the most base, depraved spirits, when we allow them or do not save them from the pagan gods and demons who are the pagan gods. That is I mean that, I mean, the, the, that is the, the heart of the role of the church is to is to save mankind from ha- fallen human nature to save mankind from the temptations to sin from falling into the temptations to sin to save mankind from the influence of these pagan gods and demons, and to to bring all of mankind under the influence of Christ so that all of mankind or as much of mankind as possible can achieve the end for which every human soul was created, which was to live with God in a perfect state of bliss in heaven for all eternity. And we know from church documents, most recently perhaps Dominus Iesus, that there is only one mediator between God and man. There is only one path for the human soul to heaven, which is Jesus Christ, the God-made man. There is no other means by which the human soul can reach heaven. Now, there is an ambiguity. There, there are are various possibilities about how knowingly a, a, a human being has to have a relationship with Christ. In other words, to what extent the human being has to know that it is through Christ by name that he gets to heaven. Um, there, there are there are many. Um, theological theories that are within the realm of church teaching that say that one doesn't have to knowingly be a Christian to get to heaven, but nonetheless, there is no path to heaven other than through Christ. Um, and I uh, have come to the end of uh, the time for today's show. Perhaps in a future show, I will have an opportunity to read the account of a very accomplished Hindu guru Uh, is a very parallel account how this Hindu guru um, chanted to the Hindu gods, thought he was... um, becoming a guru and able to help his people and so forth, and found out in exactly a parallel way that these Hindu gods were actually demons, they began to live within him, they began to fill him with hate, hatred for his own family, a great deal of uh, violent temper, and and so forth, and he could not free himself from them until he too came across Christ, And all he had to do also was call out to Christ and Christ rushed to his aid and chased away the uh, pagan gods, in his case Hindu gods, who had taken up abode in his soul, in the, quote, palace of his heart also. That's all we have to do to get Christ to come to our aid. Um, You know, I am, I hope, 100% Catholic from top to bottom, but there are many beautiful things about Protestantism, including the sinner's prayer. It's very, very powerful. The sinner's prayer, you know, all people have to do is genuinely, from their heart, pray to Jesus, you know, I am a sinner, I am admired in original sin, I'm mired in actual sin, I'm not strong enough to fight this myself, I give you permission, I invoke you, I pray to you, I beg you, come to me, come to the palace of my heart, and please, please, please save me from the powers of darkness, and bring me to heaven with you, and that is enough. And we've come to the end of the show, and given the content of the show, let me close the show with the St. Michael prayer. It's always a little messy when you talk about demons, because you tend to kind of stir up the nest, you know, and they start to flutter around. It's sort of like if you have a moth's net in your house. So anyway... St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits that patrol the world, seeking the ruin and destruction of souls. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Schoman. I hope you uh, enjoy the show. I hope you uh, stay pure and clean. Don't forget, invoke St. Michael, invoke the Blessed Virgin Mary. uh, Reassert continually your allegiance and affiliation with Christ, and nothing can hurt you. And remember, if you wish, to tune in again next week, same time, same place. Bye for now.